Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold. What's up? Hey, Brandon. How's it going? It's going great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Brand, uh, Brandon's out this week. John's out this week. Hopefully he's back next week. We've got a special guest, Brigham Dallas. How are you, my man? What's up, guys? Good to be back on the show. Not many people know this, but Brigham Dallas has been on the show before. Once or twice before. Twice now. So this is your third. Number three. We have never had a guest on this many times. I feel pretty special right now. I will say that Brigham's episode in the first season, I want to say it was episode 16. I could be wrong, but I think it was 16. PPC, uh, SEO versus PPC. We brought Brigham in to talk about PPC. That's his world, uh, which is why we, we asked him to be on the show today. This week's episode is 2018 Digital Marketing Trends. Brandon and I will represent the SEO side. Brigham will represent the paid side. I don't know if there's actually going to be a division there. We'll just talk about whatever <laughs> trends are coming up, but that's pretty much the perspective we're going to have because that's that's what worlds we come from. Okay, so before we get into it, uh, we we don't have current events this week. We're gonna we're gonna dive in. We're going to try and get as much information out there as possible about what we think will happen in 2018. And this this is not the year of mobile. You remember how the last like five years has been the year of mobile? We've moved on since then. I think we have. I'm not just saying that. I think we have moved on from mobile. Yeah. And not moved on as in... You shouldn't do it sure. anymore? Yeah. Don't do on, mobile anymore. Moved on as in it's happened. It's just now mobile. It's happening. It's happening. Enough people know of how important it is that it's happening. People aren't talking about it as much. How much how much of your traffic at Dev Mountain is mobile versus desktop? I uh, just looked a few weeks ago, and I want to say it was um, about 50. It's almost 60% mobile. 60% mobile. What about you, Brigham? What are you seeing? Well, that's pretty standard in the industry, I would think, about 60%. 60%. But is that follow-up on that? Is, that? is that students that are coming to access the course or new people trying to look at Dev Mountain? Uh, that's overall traffic. Um, if you look at applications, it's like 80% desktop. So I think a lot of people learn about dev mountain on their phones through Facebook ads or whatever, and then they go home or go to their computer and then actually fill out the application and whatnot. So tell me this, when you have design, you work with, do you have in-house designers or do you work with agencies to do kind of web design for you? Uh, both our web design, like our website is your website. Okay. So tell me this. When, when you go to your designers and you say, I need a new page, and they come to you with mock-ups, are they in mobile or desktop? What do they show you first? Um, they show desktop first. Why? I hate that. Yeah. I well, hate that. <laughs> well, usually, but it's very, they understand. It's like, hey, here's the new design. But they understand very quickly that we're going to, what does it look like on mobile? So like they're, they're no, I get the that. I get that. But why would they show you desktop first if 70%? I think it's because their computer's open. And it's like, hey, can I show you the new layout? Who do they report to? Me. Well, you, you not need anymore. To, you need to change that. It's We design... I like, just made a stink at Vivint because like, you go back six months ago, 
and we were hardcore mobile. Like we didn't even look at desktop uh, designs. We went straight to like all we looked at was mobile as far as approvals, legal language, messaging, uh, calls to action, all mobile. And then over the last like six weeks, we've been looking at designs and they bring up desktop. And like a week ago, I finally was like, why are you showing me desktop? Because between 70 and 80 percent of Vivint's traffic is mobile. And I'm like, I, I don't I honestly don't care about desktop at this point. Show me show me mobile. And it was slightly awkward because the designers were kind of new and. They just, you know, didn't know. But uh, I hate that. We talked about uh, potentially talking about pet peeves on the show, which we've done in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was one of the first things that I thought of was designers showing me desktop versions of what they're doing when only 20% of our traffic will ever see that. It's like, come on, man. Do do your homework. From a PPC perspective, I can remember about five years ago when mobile was starting to hit the trends and Google was really doing a push for this. You'd see cost per clicks, which really is an evidence of like the demand of the market. They were probably like thirty-five percent of the, sixty-five percent of the cost of what a desktop click is. And now, mobile clicks on most of my campaigns outpace desktop. I clicks. didn't realize that that cost per click changed based on device type. Mm-hmm. Is that like, true? Yeah. So actually, I segment a lot of my all of my campaigns. I'm going to segment out by tablet, mobile, and desktop. And we look at the conversions based off of those campaigns. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Before we get too much into it, that was a little taste, a little teaser of what's to come. That was 2012 through 2017 trends in a box. Let's get to 2018. Let's get to it. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. All right, so 2018 trends. Do you want to start from what we think is the most important or most trending or from the least trending? I can take a guess as to what one of the items would be. Tell me what one of the items would be. I would say influencer marketing. Influencer marketing. Are you saying that because we just talked about it like right before I hit record? No, maybe. Uh, I mean, a big part is just from my personal experience. We're noticing that the ROI we're getting on influencer marketing at Dev Mountain is uh, bigger than just about everything else we're doing. We're putting very little money in, and we're getting a big return. Okay, so we did. uh, So I, I, I do think influencer marketing is a a 2018 trend. It didn't start in 2018. It's been around for a little while, but I think it's going to catch on a little bit more in 2018. First, before we get into it, let's let's define influencer marketing. Influencer marketing is when you pay an influencer to promote your brand. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, let's let's uh, that's like the the 2 second version. An example of that would be influencers typically like the first thing I think of when I when we talk about influencers is YouTube, right? You have YouTubers like who? List off three famous YouTubers. Casey Neistat. Casey Neistat. Unbox therapy. Unbox therapy. Uh, and let's go with uh, Smosh. Smosh. <laughs> All right, Smosh. <laughs> Never heard of Smosh. So these guys have amassed an, an, a huge audience on YouTube uh, with their own talents, with their own, you know, whatever. But then companies either approach them or they approach companies and say, hey, I have this huge audience. Uh, unbox therapy is where they... It's, te- it's typically a tech, right? They uh-huh. unbox new tech. So... Samsung would typically go up to, or they'd have a partnership and then Unbox Therapy would open the new 
you know, whatever the newest phone from Samsung is and they do, you know, little tests. I, I don't I don't know. I've never actually watched Unbox Therapy. But Samsung would pay Unbox Therapy to feature their product and and talk about it to the millions of people who watch their their videos. Uh and then they would get payment based on uh however many videos they do, the social, all that stuff. So last week we talked about influencer marketing and you and I uh uh semi passionately talked about different ways or, or kind of different models that you could use influencers. So my understanding with Dev Mountain is that you pay an influencer per interaction or per, that's not the right way to put it, per video or, yep. right? It's, it's almost like per campaign. It's a flat rate, flat fee. You give them however much money it co- they, they request or whatever, and then they do it. And then once it's over, it's over. Yeah, basically. So you're saying that you've had a significant ROI. We talked about the other model which is kind of turning the the influencer into an affiliate where you pay the influencer per sale that they generate for your product, right? So they it's up to them that you want to do a video and social media, uh, five po- however many, po- they just try to get as many sales as possible and they get paid per sale, which is kind of the influencer, sorry, the affiliate model. You said that Dev Mountain couldn't do that because of the relationship they have with Capella University with their strict guidelines and i'm gonna air quote that guidelines because come on brandon you're you're the freaking hass man you got to find the loopholes the department of education is, oh the department is bigger of education. than me unfortunately come on dude <laughs> i'll just try do it. it just do it <laughs> they're just gonna slap your hands you know if they ever they're not even gonna find out no i actually think we were when i say we dev mountain i think they were doing it uh previous to um, the Capella acquisition and before legal got really hands on. Uh, and I don't think they were getting, um, I don't think it was working out the leads. Like it, it wasn't as motivating as you would think it would be. Maybe the, you weren't paying them enough per lead. It, it could have it's been not that. per lead. Per lead is a terrible model. Per acquisition for sale. Yeah. 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 But the, I mean, right now I don't care because we would right now we're paying less than what we would pay if we did a whole like pop cost per whatever. So how much are you paying? Um, what if they listening? Because we're paying a wide range between YouTubers. <laughs> give me a range. Yeah, give me a range. Uh, our smallest YouTuber is making, uh, I think, two hundred a month. Okay. And our biggest is uh, like six hundred a month. So super small range, and that and those followings range from uh, about ten thousand followers to three hundred thousand followers. So two. Th- Sorry, what was the low end of the followers? 10,000. 10,000, yes. 10,000. So if you have 10,000 followers, you can expect to make $200 per month from Dev Mountain. Honestly, you can make more. Like, I think we're, we're getting a great deal. And I think part of that is because we also offset some of that cost with a promotion. So we try to use our audience to and push them towards them. So it's, Hey, we're going to give you some cash, but we're not just going to be a sponsor where we give you cash and you send people here. We want to be a resource to you. So we're also going to take one of your videos each month and we're going to transcribe it. We're going to turn it into a really cool blog post and embed your video on there. And then we're going to send our email and our social traffic to it. Hopefully you're going to get some more subscribers. So, and that really works well with the slightly smaller audience because they recognize that yes, that is valuable to me right now because I need to grow. So I'm, I'm trying to think outside the box and not just make it such a transactional relationship, uh, randomly sending them a box of swag when they're not expecting it. Little stuff like that makes them like us a lot more. 
and the influencers, the influencers. And then we can kind of get away with like, we're not just a business partner. Like we, we try to yeah. have like a real relationship, which lets us get cheaper prices. Would, would you say that you kind of turn the influencers into content creators and not necessarily promoters? You take on the promotion aspect yourself. So they create the content and then you put money into promoting their content. You yeah. drive traffic and social and you know whatever to their stuff. That's part of it, yeah. That's kind of what we promote. Like we want to, we want a two way relationship where we're providing not just money to you, but we're providing value. And usually, that's I need views and subscribers. Okay, I need so, more recognition. So, so you say between two hundred and six hundred a month. What is expected of them? Like, are they are they supposed to do one video a month? Like, what do you, what do you get back? Usually, we have usually they they know like, hey, I get four videos out a month. Uh, so we just say, okay, well, we're going to pay you X a video. So that's going to be this much a month, but only if you record these four videos. So if, um, if they only record three, then we just pay them per, so it could be, you know, 50 bucks a video. It could be a hundred bucks a video, 125 bucks a video. And that includes, um, mentioning us at the beginning or at the end. Uh, we usually always have uh, a link at, at the top of the description, what we've done with a lot of them is we've required them to, we, we go to their video page where it just shows like all of their videos. We filter it by most popular to least popular. And then part of the contract is while we're associated with you, uh, all of those, like your top 10 performing videos, we get a link at the top of the description because those are, they just keep getting views. And uh, some of them, even though we've stopped doing uh, business with them, or at least it's been on pause, They've just kept the links up and we still get traffic from it. But just, just because they forgot or don't care. I think, yeah, I don't know. We don't say like, Hey, by the way, you're not obligated. You, you think, you think that's ethical? <laughs> sure. Hey, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's a different podcast, <laughs> but yeah, YouTube I've learned is awesome. It's, it's similar to PPC, but the nice thing is, is whereas PPC, you turn off ads, traffic stops. These ones, we stop paying influencers, but their videos still have dev mountain baked in to them and they always just get consistent views. I'm sure that has some SEO value as well to have those links on there. I'm sure. Yeah, maybe being so, Google owned. Here's another hack. Uh, just because I was reminded of it. We have, uh, we've put a lot of t- time and resources into our local SEO and we've joined hundreds of chambers of commerce all over the nation. And really we just want the link on their website, but there are other perks and it's usually an annual membership. But if you pay for the one membership, we've found that most, like a majority of chambers of commerce are not managed well enough for them to account for all the websites or companies who are members or not members, uh, re- renewed or not renewed to, to go remove or uh, you know add the links on there. So we'll pay the one-time fee and see that most of them are just keeping the links, the on, links there. on there anyway. Yeah, even after the first year. Oh, yeah, totally. That's brilliant. <laughs> So, Hey, uh, speaking of, you know, some influencers that are pretty crazy. Did you guys hear what happened with Kylie Jenner and Snapchat? Uh, petition. There was uh, yeah. So about two weeks ago, she came out and said, because of the redesign of Snapchat, she's like, who uses this anymore? She basically said in a tweet. And after that, the stock for Snapchat plummeted $1.2 billion and they just laid off 120 workers. That's oh, a pretty powerful snap. influencer. No pun intended. So you're saying Kylie Jenner. Yeah sent out one tweet that says who uses this anymore, which communicated to all the tweenies out there that are using it. Which oh, is, this isn't which cool is, anymore. Which is their base. Yeah. And then right afterwards. Is that Kylie's base? 
like I would say Snapchat's base and Kylie's base align heavily. Okay, so would you say that Snapchat is not a 2018 trend? I would say your business plan would probably be A-OK if you weren't focusing on Snapchat. So Vivint <laughs> has actually found some positive experiences advertising on Snapchat. I could see it doing well still. I don't think it's out of the running. Well, here's what's weird is uh, Vivint's target demographic are not what you would typically think of Snapchat users. Yeah. Right? Young teenage kids not really looking to smarten up their home. You know what I mean? Right. It's weird. Hmm. Okay, so uh, so that's influencer marketing. Did you have anything else there? If, if you are a brand uh, looking to expand your reach and potentially test out some new channels, I think influencer marketing can do that. We talked about YouTube, but that's not the only channel or platform where influencers exist. Instagram is a big one, right? If you have uh, if you have very visual products that you can, you know, that works well with pictures on Instagram. You could do that. What are some other examples of influencer marketing real quick as we right before we transition to the next thing? Um, I mean, I uh, if you want to call it micro influence, like there, I think there's influencers and then there's micro influencers. Dev Mountain, we primarily work with micro influencers and you can get away with that. Like you can almost get like the same effect because they're so niche. Uh, there's someone I'm looking at right now who he hasn't approached us, but I'm probably going to approach him. He's, he has like, uh, 1900 subscribers on YouTube, which isn't that much, but he is, um, a boot camp graduate. And so like every video he talks about, uh, boot camps and getting a job. So it's highly niche. And when you look at social blade, which is an awesome free tool to kind of look at growth of social channels, it's like a hockey stick. It's like, we're catching this guy before he's at 30,000 uh, subscribers. And so social blades, an awesome tool where you can come across some people, like whether it's on Instagram, like at hashtags, find someone who seems like they're doing a lot of cool stuff. Their followers aren't big, throw them into social blade and look at what their growth has been recently. And you can catch people early and get them for a great cost. So would you put in the contract, anything, any, any like link that we have in, in uh, one of your videos has to stay regardless of time regard, like forever. Like we sponsor this specific episode. So if our contract ever ends, it has to stay in there. Yeah, you usually do that. We actually, at starting out, we haven't been doing contracts until recently. Uh, we've just been doing, not even handshake. It's just like, yeah, I'll do this. PayPal the money type thing, like a good relationship like that. But now legal's caught wind of our influencer marketing and now everything has to go through these annoying contracts. But And they don't even know like what, like, they, like Capella's, their, their main uh, base is not as cutting edge as dev mountain. So like they don't like, they have like contracts for celebrity marketing, but like the whole influencer thing, it's like, we got to rewrite our contracts because celebrity marketing. Yeah. You know, Capella's doing celebrity marketing. Your big universities, they get like Shaq or something like that. Like these graduates who, who has are, Capella had, um, Capella. There's some Senator that's really big. They've done marketing senator, with a Senator. Are you saying a, alumni or no, just like who uh, I want to know who Capella has gotten where they use oh, their I don't celebrity have contract. specific names, but they have celebrity contracts. Almost every university has worked with celebrities of some sort to do some ad or whatnot or a commercial. Hmm. Sorry. I keep hitting the table here, but, um, but yeah, uh, 
So influencers don't count as celebrities. Why would why would the the contract? I think influencer change? marketing is more effective than celebrity marketing. Oh, it's personally. way yeah, it's way better. Like I'd rather spend three hundred grand on uh, Casey Neistat doing a video about Dev Mountain than pay Shaq a hundred grand. I'd, I'd rather pay three times more because I know I'm going to get way more value because Shaq, yeah, he's well known, but does he have like the hardcore trusted audience that these uh, digital influencers have? Uh, usually not. Unless I'm selling basketballs, maybe, but... Right. Well, I mean, there's a line there where it can get blurred because a lot of influencers are also celebrities. Sure. Right? Yeah. Those are so, big ones. And those are the hard... Like, a lot of... That's what I'm saying. Like, there's micro-influencing and, and, and just influencing. A lot of times, startups hear about it and they're like, I got to start... I got to figure out how to get this guy who has 2 million subscribers. I would say... You're going to be spending a lot of money. You might not get that quick ROI like you would with a micro who's just happy to be working with a company and they're going to go above and beyond to impress you. If you were Snap, would you I'd pay, shut down my offices tomorrow. Would you call it good? Would you pay Kylie Jenner to tweet something out that basically counteracts what she previously said? Um, I, it would get out that we would pay her eventually and that would just look bad. So no, would you do that, Brigham? Probably not. They came out with a uh, like an update to the software that allowed it to go back how it was, and they just basically sent an apology letter saying we hear you. We hear you. Yeah. Air quotes. We hear you. <laughs> All right, that's influencers. Uh, if you if you currently use influencer marketing or you're interested in hearing more, uh, reach out to us inbound at belowthefold.io. Okay. Another trend this year is going to be voice search. This is one that Gary Vee has talked a lot about. He actually created a brand new conference that's going to be in New York. It's called Voice something. What's it called? VoiceCon? I was thinking VoiceCon, but... I think it is. That sounds weird. VoiceCon. Yep, it's VoiceCon. Presented by VaynerMedia. So he's putting a ton of time and money into uh, developing... Uh, maybe not developing, but at least getting his message out there that voice search is going to be huge. Okay, so l- let's talk a little bit about voice search. So voice search, for those of you that uh, don't know, voice search is when you use a device like the Google Home or the Amazon Echo or the Apple, what are they called? HomePod. Pod, HomePod. Uh, because each of those units, well, I don't know. Does Apple? I don't know anything about Apple's HomePod. Is it, it just music, or can you use it? It has uh, Siri built in, but it's not very. So is it using Bing? Um, I don't know. Like for searches, yeah. I know it's not very good. Like it's like you can't like hey Siri lock the doors. Like it doesn't have doesn't have the home automation stuff. Yeah, like all that stuff that Amazon has that Google has. That's weird because Apple has. HomeKit. They said that eventually that will be, but right now it's basically you're buying a nice Sonos speaker that happens to have Siri to tell you your calendar. Tell you your calendar. <laughs> like, and they've even admitted, like, your smartphone Siri is more intelligent than the HomePod Siri right now, but eventually it's going to be okay. awesome. All right, so let's exclude HomePod for now. The Google Home, the Amazon Echo, they both connect to a search engine that allows them to answer specific questions. This is voice search. So it's basically Google for your uh, home speaker device. So if you say, Alexa, what's 
the temperature today. It goes to the search engine knowing where you're located, pulls up the information, and it calls out uh, basically one of the answers. The thing with voice search, uh, it's, it's comparable to Google searching, except Google searching has a, uh, you know, a screen interface where you type things in and it gives you the visual. There's, there's no voice involved. Uh, the biggest difference is that when you look at Google, you have 10 results on the, on the SERP, on the results page. And voice search, when using your device, you get one. Yep. It's like pressing the I feeling lucky button. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, voice search is big for a couple reasons. One, people are getting more used to, to speaking their questions and getting responses back. Two, it's big in the SEO community because it's, it's evolving. Did you guys see that? We talked last week on the show that uh, rich snippets are, are evolving to now be able to interpret questions in multiple ways. So if it has two different meanings, it will pull both meanings out and give you which option you want uh, results for. Or they'll give you both results, assuming you know one of them is right. So there, I'm on search engine land right now. And when we talk about voice search, these are the things, a few bullet points here. These are the things that as a digital marketer, you'll want to know when optimizing your content so that when people are asking specific questions where voice search uh, has an answer, you're, if you want your content to be the source for which these devices are pulling from, these are the things that you need to pay attention to. But what's the advantage at the end of the day? Like if I have an article on... Uh, how much Mark Cuban is worth, what his net worth is, and someone asks their assistant, hey, Google, uh, how much is Mark Cuban worth? And it tells it, like, on online I get, you know, maybe there's AdSense on sure. the page or I could upsell them to a sign-up for an email. I don't get any of that on a uh, voice search. So that's where, like, there's voice, which I think is big in 2018, and there's voice search, which is big, but I don't see how that's going to be big for my business. So... With the with the one question that you asked, I would agree. But what if someone asks, what is the best home security system? Sure. You want to be the one answering that if you own a home security business, right? Um, yeah, but it's just going to pull a top result if it even can. What do you mean if it can? What would stop like, it? Like sometimes with really detailed searches, it's like, oh, uh, I can't answer that for you right now like it's looking for something that has a rich snippet something right. that has like a direct answer exactly versus if it's like should i uh should i take vitamin d for the, for this sickness i have or would i be better off with vitamin c i could get a good answer online typing that in because i can look at web pages yeah the voice is gonna have a hard time saying oh brandon you should take vitamin c and you should get this brand i i, I disagree i i think that i i guarantee there's probably a rich snippet already in existence for that exact query that you just said and I think that uh, the the voice assistants would just read it verbatim, whatever the snippet is. You know, I, I can see this being one of the trends, and we'll probably talk about this later on the show as well, uh, with some of the machine learning technologies that come into play here. So imagine imagine you're at your home, you're feeling kind of sick, you got you got the sniffles, and you say something like, "Hey Siri, I'm a little I'm a little under the weather today," or "Hey, hey Alexa, I'm under the weather today." Imagine what would happen if say there was an app out there, there's, there's a way for this to pull on some contextual d- data and she could ask questions about you kind of like a pharmacist would. How are you feeling right now? What do you think your temperature is? Okay, based off of these diagnoses, I think you have a cold. And then you're like, well, what do you recommend? And then maybe it pulls up the best results for that specific situation. So if you're WebMD 
you would want to create an Alexa skill. Which I've actually downloaded and used. The WebMD one? Uh-huh. Is that for... Where it's asking you specific questions on your symptoms? Yeah, well, it will... Uh, I'm trying to remember. I download it just to test it, and I would be like, um, hey, Alexa, there's a pain in my elbow or something like that. And then I think it would ask some follow-up questions and then give some quick answer like, oh, or like, hey, Alexa, how do I... Uh, I think that what it's meant for right now is like, how do I cure my sunburn? Uh, and then I'll be like, oh, according to WebMD, you should be doing this, this, this. So it's you usually... You rub some aloe vera. Have you guys heard of the Health Tap app? No. Okay, that's kind of cool. So this app uses uh, Chatbox, aggregate technology based off of lots and lots of searches in the past. And they ask you questions similar to what Brandon's talking about. And then after you know it gives some results, it says, did this help you enough? Yeah, it's helpful. No, not quite. Okay, do you want to talk to a doctor? And so then it upsells you to actually talk face-to-face through your FaceTime with an actual doctor. And the cool thing about this is it's like 40 bucks. So you can get a doctor on the phone to help you with your sickness or illness for 40 bucks. So why would they be incentivized to get it right before you get to a doctor? I think this is just another marketplace to market to people who are sick and don't want to leave their home. I mean, that could be the no, next what way I mean, What I mean is, is if you want them to have a good experience they would never have to call a doctor. They just get the answer through the chatbot. Assumingly, what's yes. In, what's incentivizing the company to get the chatbot chat bot right and, and mm. uh, improve and optimize that experience so that more and more people are getting the answers prior to going to the doctor if they only get paid if someone sees a doctor? I think you kind of answered it. More and more people using the app would mean more and more people would actually follow through to the next step because they have complicated issues and aren't just you know, a cookie-cutter answer. Yeah. I just kind of following up on that. Imagine if you were talking to Alexa and you said, Hey Alexa, I'm feeling kind of sick. And you know, they went through the whole chat in, in integrated core of technology they had. And they said, well, it doesn't seem like your answer is there. Would you like to talk to a doctor? And then Alexa just instantly puts a doctor on the phone, bills you through your Amazon card. Now you've got a business through Alexa that you could actually monetize. You're saying that that could potentially happen. Yeah. Like similar to health tap off the chat app. Maybe Alexa could do something like that. Hmm. I feel I feel like there are would be so many regulatory true red tape bullcrap that would prevent Amazon from ever getting into that. True, space. true. Yeah. But I mean just some of the trends I want I just want to go through some of this like 50% of all searches according to Comscore will be voice searches by 2020. It seems high, but we estimate that 21.4 this is uh that's 2 years. Yeah. 50%? That's what they say. Do you know how many searches uh, are done on Google every day? This was coming out a lot. This this yeah, art like billions. Yeah, this article came out like three weeks ago, and it said twenty one point four billion searches a month right now are happening. That's what percentage 50%. of U.S. adults do you think have access to a smart speaker? A smart speaker like like a Sonos or a like Echo a, or yeah, Echo is a Sonos considered a smart speaker? I think they just came out with their own. They came out with a smart speaker that you can either and you can either activate uh, Amazon Echo or Google Assistant. You have the choice. I own that, and it's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Which I, one did you activate? I, I didn't get the option for either. I got the option just to have Alexa. It's just oh. built into it. But it's nice. So, like, I can say, hey. Throwing some shade at Google there. <laughs> yeah. You can be like, hey, Alexa, play some music, and it just starts playing random music. Or, Dude, hey, wait, 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 wait. Tell Brandon. I don't know if I can say no, something. No, tell, tell Brandon about, <laughs> about your playlist stuff, dude. Oh, man, I don't know if I can say this. No, you have to. Okay, so I haven't... 
<laughs> no, this is this is this is this is literally like the the cure all for any smart speaker debate there is. If if you do this with your smart speakers, well, maybe it's the speaker being smart. But I think I think Brigham is pretty brilliant. Go, just say it. All right, so I built this playlist called "Something to Make Her Blush." And then you can actually play playlists from your Alexa device. <laughs> so just imagine you're at dinner. It's going pretty well. You got the scene set. Hey, Alexa, play playlist to make her blush. And then the music just turns play on. Play a playlist to, to make, make her, her blush. blush. You yeah. can't just say uh, play something to make her blush. That's what my initial attention was, but that would just pull up a song like that. You have to say the word playlist in there. So that kind of screwed it up a little bit, but okay. it still has the good effect. I assume it will still have the good effect. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Hey, Alexa, play a playlist. That will make her blush. Yeah. And you name the playlist on, on Spotify. You name it, that will make her blush. And then it just starts playing that music for the night. <laughs> what do you think, Brandon? That's very nice. Very, <laughs> that's very nice. Very smooth. You guys use this and then return and report. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure my wife will be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like, my wife uh, would just say, you're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the only playlist you have, though, right? That's the one we're going to mention over the air. Oh, all right. Just tell me the other one, and I'll cut it out. <laughs> you don't trust me. I don't trust you. That's that's probably that's yeah, that's smart. All right. So I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because there's one last uh, trend that I I really want to get to, and then I, I want to tell a story from earlier today of a potential trend, maybe not this year, but but coming up in the in the coming years. Uh, last thing on voice search, if you're interested in influencing voice search more, there are specific, uh, things that both Google and Alexa look for when pulling information or extracting it from the search engine in order to turn it into voice. We've mentioned, we've mentioned, uh, snippets. So if you, this is, I don't want to get too deep. I don't want to like go into how you get snippets, but Basically, if you mark up your website, schema markup, all that stuff, look into it, get rich snippets. That's what it pulls from. PageSpeed, turns out, is a, a, a significant uh, indicator of whether or not your website can be included on voice search. Uh, it also relies heavily on the authority of your domain, not necessarily the page the content is on. So you need to focus on upping the authority of your domain if you want to influence uh, the voice search results uh again i'm pulling this from search engine land uh, it says voice search results are generally 29 words however google source sources voice results from long form content also last thing uh a secure website is critical so if you do not have https for your website if your website is not secure uh i don't anticipate you playing in in, in this voice game okay so voice search 2018 if you're interested in learning more, you can just go to VoiceCon, presented by VaynerMedia in New York City, coming up in, I believe, May. All right, so that's voice search. So I want to get into chatbots. Brigham mentioned chatbots a little bit about his health dot. What's it called? Health tap. Health tap. All right, so chatbots. We uh, talked a little bit about this before the show. Uh, there are a few different types. Uh, if if you could describe what chatbots are in just a couple sentences, Brigham, how would you do it? A chatbox is basically... Are you saying box? Chatbots. Okay. Bot. Okay, yeah. Bots. Bots, yeah. All right. What's a chatbot? It's a electronic 
tool that chats with you based off of a registry that is created through usually machine learning or through some logic just some yeah logic or just brute force of just putting a ton of different responses in yeah so there i mean there are examples uh if you went to facebook and went to 1-800 flowers they have a facebook chat bot that you can talk with where it's basically pre-programmed responses to pre-selected questions so they can say what are you you here for and then you have four selections i'm here to order flowers i'm here to talk to a, a rep i'm here to leave a review whatever and then based on whatever you click on there's built out logic that responds based on how you answer each of the questions. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not very sophisticated. You can get more sophisticated. Brigham mentioned machine learning. There are, uh, there are very sophisticated chatbots that can learn as answers are being given and evolve uh, based on how you're reacting or how you're responding to these bots. Uh, chatbots are going to be, I think, very big in 2018. Facebook came out with chatbots. Do you know how long ago they came out with that? A year? I can't tell. No, I don't know. It hasn't been super long, uh, but it's not super new either. And not many people are using it, but Facebook is kind of a weird place to have chatbots. I, I don't I don't think a lot of people go to Facebook to talk to companies. But the advantage is you get pestered. I'd sign, I, I was on some website where there was like a webinar at the bottom. It was like, uh, chat with us. So I clicked on it and it opened up Messenger. But now I keep getting automated messages like popping up on my phone saying, so-and-so has sent you a message. And then you click on it and it's, hey, I just want to see how things are going. And you can... So, so when you, you've engaged with a chatbot in the past and all of a sudden they have access to now, now the, message you whenever they want. Yeah, and it's like a, a dedicated notification on my lock screen, which is That's pretty good real super, estate. super, super... Well, annoying the nice thing about the facebook bot is that it has an api that's built in built in that can work with a lot of different uh e-commerce stores so i actually have facebook bot on my salonwaxsupplies.com site people go there and once they order they actually if, as long as their information's in and it's connected to facebook it'll send them a facebook messenger that tells them when their order is going to be delivered what time it's going to get there and huh. if, if they want to help if they want help they just say get started and then it goes through a couple of questions to help them out through the process. And then I can come in and answer those questions if I want to. So tell me this, Brigham. What percentage of people using your chatbot go on to actually talk to a real person? That's a good question. Well, all of the all the people that purchase are going to look, they're going to get those messages and look at those for when their thing's delivered. Kind of like an email. Uh, but I would say most people that go to my chat box want to speak to a real person. Okay, so the reason I ask that is because at Vivint, we're looking at chatbots specifically for our website, right? Yeah. And the reason is, and, and chatbots can be uh, applied to a, a ton of different scenarios, but at Vivint, you can imagine that most of our calls are either someone interested in, in getting a system or more information on a system or someone for technical support, right? Like, hey, how do I replace the batteries in my motion detector? Right. And... uh when you think about the number of people coming on looking for technical support and being able to basically either send them to a support page or answer their questions through the chatbot, how many resources and time from a real person you're saving, I think it's a pretty good chunk. We haven't applied it yet, so I don't have the data. So at some point, we'll pro I'll probably report back. But there's a good amount of people who just have really easy questions where a good majority of them are, have you plugged it in? You know, like that <laughs> that type of solution. Have you plugged in your computer? Oh, no, I should have done that. 
Well, there you go. And, and they never have to talk to a person because we have built in logic that takes them through a scenario in which they can find a solution without ever taking up someone's, uh, someone's time. And I think a lot of people would prefer doing that without having to uh, wait in queue right? yeah. for, for a, a new tech support person or whatever. So that, I mean, that's one instance. I've seen, I've seen someone use a chat bot. It's, it's, a, it's a food website for like recipes. Yeah. And the chat bot pops up and it says, uh, what, uh, just uh, list, a, list the food that you have that you want recipes for. So you can just type in one word, chicken or rice or broccoli. And all of a sudden, it'll pop up basically, you know, up to, you know, I don't know, 10 different recipes with whatever food you put in there. So it's almost like this tool. Here's what, here's what ingredients I have. What foods can I make? And it's all done through the chat bot without ever having to talk to someone. It's almost like, it's almost like a little Pinterest window on your website. And that applies really well to a website that caters to people looking for new recipes. So that's, that's another instance where chat bots can happen. I think they're going to take off in 2018 because uh, it's easy, right? I mean, here's one question I have. Do you think chatbots kill the customer experience? I think they can. Do you think I guess they that's my the customer experience? I guess that's my counter is say ch- chatbots continue to t- – it sounds like I'm saying chatbots. Are you saying chatbots? I might have said it there. I don't know. <laughs> Chatbots. Uh, let's say they continue to take off and more and more people are using them. And you're that company. Sorry. You're that company that is still using humans. Like from first interaction to the last, it's a human. Is that going to, even though, yeah, you're paying a little bit more to have a human on staff answering questions. Is that at the end of the day, going to make a better customer experience where they know that man, every time I have a problem, I'm talking right to a human because I've been through both chat bots as well as, Hey, I need support for my bill. Then it's like, is this a billing issue? Is this a technical issue? Is this, this, and you click that and you're just waiting like, yeah, yeah I just want to talk to a human. I just want to talk to a human, even though they kind of have these predetermined, have you read the help section on this? <laughs> yes. I've read it. Even though you haven't read it, I just want to talk to a human. I think there's still going to be that mentality <laughs> where humans want to talk to humans. And so uh, even though the bots do kind of the pre-screening at the end of the day, you're going to talk to a human if you need to talk to a human. I wonder if, and maybe that's the same question. I wonder if that those three questions that could easily be answered by a bot, the fact that they're answered by a human who understands empathy, they can read between the lines on how you're asking questions. Uh, will that make the difference? Yeah. I, I, I do think that uh, although it's going to trend this year, I, I think that a lot of people are, are still going to be testing and, and learning how to do it right. My, my gut tells me that it's going to be done wrong most of the time where people, like you said, people are just going to try They're going to get annoyed because they want to talk to someone, but then someone's going to come out with, uh, at the very beginning, the first question, do you need technical help? Or you, do you want sales or do you want to talk to someone? And the first thing, talk to someone, you bypass the entire bot altogether and just get connected to a human. When I was talking about waiting in queue, I think that's when people get customer service wrong is when you have uh, too many, the, the balance is off between the number of people calling or, or trying to connect with you far exceeds the number of people you have to connect with them in your company, right? So, so you've got 10, 15, 20, 60 minute wait times just to talk to a human when a chatbot could have given you your answer within 30 seconds. So that's the experience, right? I mean, if, if you have, if you have the, 
the number of people necessary to cater to the customer base, then fine, you know, have a human do it. But if you've got so many questions that people are asking that could be done through a chatbot, I think I think it could improve or amplify their customer experience. I in agree and with out. That. They just want they they want to come in, find the answer and get out, right? And 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 it doesn't even have to be the chatbot giving the answer. It could be let me gather information, ask you a couple of questions, and then here's a link to the exact support page that gives you the exact answer you're looking for with, with detailed instructions, videos, whatever. And as time goes on, those chat boxes are going to become better. They are going to be better. Right now, you have to build out the logic. Like machine learning is not, it's not highly adapted into that space. Not yet, but it will be. Yeah. At some point, I, I think you're right. It will be. Yeah. Are you familiar with Intercom? Intercom? No. I bet you've seen they're like a really big uh, website chat software. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The, do they Moz have like uses a, them? I, yeah, I know Intercom. Uh, Intercom has a, one of their new things called Operator Bot. It, right now, it's only for your current customers. It's not for like website like leads and whatnot. Yeah. So I keep hounding them like you got to get this feature going for website ones. But let's say a customer hops on. Like let's say I'm a Moz customer and I hop on, and uh, I say. Um, or, or we get this with, with Dev Mountain, like, uh, do you guys accept financial aid? And then what the bot does, like, it's not like one of those where it's what's your question regarding to, is it this, this, or this? You just type in your question as if you're about to talk to a human, and then the bot quick intercepts, and it says, hey, I noticed you mentioned financial aid. We have a help article that talks about this. And then there's, they can click on it, and then it will say, did this answer your question, yes or no? And then if the person hits, hits yes, ends the conversation, if they hit no, then it's like, okay, let me pull in one of our experts. So it's kind of similar. I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of like yeah, what totally. a chatbot is, but I feel like it starts the conversation. Like, I don't like that where it's just like right off the bat. It's like pre-selected. What are you here for? Do you want to do this, this? Like, just ask your question. You're going to talk to a human, but let me quick take a stab at it as a bot. And if not, I will let you talk to a human. Uh, I almost I don't like, like that. You don't like that? I'm not sure I like that. I hate the question, I noticed you mentioned financial aid let me see if i can answer your question if and and i i understand that you can change the language to whatever you want but i've but. had that like i'll talk to people like hey uh can you give me a a, a ballpark on your price because they're not listing it anywhere on the website and then the bot will say hey it uh, looks like you're asking about pricing we actually have a pricing page here it's just not accessible yeah on the navigation yeah. oh perfect that answered my question now you saved me from having to talk to a sales guy what if what if you take it a step further and you do research to determine your top five things that, that people come to you asking for. And you, you list those out. So you're saying, hey, uh, I notice you are whatever. Uh, do one of these five things help? And then they can click on it. Or you give underneath that an open field like other. Please type in your question so that you can bypass. Because right now your solution is they have to type in something no matter what. Like yeah. they type in their question. You, you, you put the top five questions or, or FAQs out there, they click on it, and boom, it takes you to the solution. But then it just feels robotic. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it matters. I think it's okay if it feels robotic. Like that, The experience is I'm looking for some, an answer. I want that answer as quickly as possible. Robotics, robots typically give you the answer faster than any human can. That's why Google shows you how quickly those results show up. 0. 0.00427 seconds to be exact. <laughs> So let me ask you this, and I hope this isn't switching gears too much, but do you believe that with the rise of chatbots, you're also going to see the decline of email marketing? Because especially with like Facebook chatbots, 
it's really relying on we don't want your email we want your facebook profile information so that we can contact you through there like if you're instantly answering these questions are you losing out on potential email leads that you would normally collect through your average human interaction I would say no. I would say a lot of times these chat bots, well, if, if there's a if there's a customer support related question, they're going to ask for an email address as well. Well, if it's customer support, they don't need your email. They don't need it. The ROI on email though is higher than anything out there. Lower. Oh, higher. Yeah. 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 ROI so is, cost like, is low. It's, it's between 50 and $60 per dollar spent on email, which is phenomenal. I couldn't see that declining in the next couple of years. Uh, yeah. I mean, your question is, I mean, as an industry email, no. You're asking if chatbots specifically on your website. If you replace your 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 lead gen form fill with a chatbot, would it decrease the number of leads you get? Is that sure, yeah. I guess being I mean, yes. with, with a chatbot making it easier to be more transparent with information and answer things instantly, mm. is that worth the trade-off of, yeah, we are probably going to get less email sign-ups and whatnot getting information, uh, but we are providing this experience. I'm not arguing one for the other. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah, do yeah. you have an opinion on like, oh yeah, if that meant a, a 10% reduction in emails that we're getting, that's fine as long as they're getting their questions answered. But then you don't have the chance of follow-up unless they're going back to your website. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think if you do it the wrong way, yeah, you could definitely cannibalize your email strategy. Uh, but if you do it right, it may amplify it. You also see that like there's a direct correlation to the amount of time necessary to talk to somebody after a lead submitted and the amount of sales you get. So the chat chatting with somebody right away could be better than getting an email and contacting them later. Maybe. So what's the softwares? You're experimenting with one. So and we, you have been using. Yeah, what are you using, Brigham? For what? For your chatbot. Just Facebook Messenger. Oh, you're on Facebook. Okay. Yeah. So the one I'm looking at, we haven't implemented yet, is called Instabot. And I think they're they're I mean it's 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 new. They they came they started a year ago, but chatbots are pretty pretty new. Uh Instabot is pretty sophisticated, their platform's awesome, their analytics are, are pretty cool. Uh the one thing I think they could improve on is uh handoff. So right now it's an it's a chatbot, but if someone wants to talk to a human, uh that's not an option through Instachat. We would have to create kind of a handoff between another software system and that can potentially become clunky. So if that's the direction you want to go where someone's like, the chatbot's not giving me what I want, I want to talk to someone, their handoff integration with other software is not Have you heard helpful. of Drift before? No. No. I would look into them. Uh, they're one that I, I, would look into them. I have looked in before, but they're, it's a sales platform first and foremost, and so it's all about qualifying leads first, and then the, your, your humans at Vivin are only talking to people who the bot has deemed this is a qualified person who's ready to talk to you about more. We've tried our best to answer all of the, you know, you know the quick stuff that you don't need to waste time on, but it is a little pricey that I think the one that you would, well, 300, they've raised their prices. 360 a month is their team one. And then their largest is 1200 a month, Ooh. but it integrates with your CRM, uh, books, meetings automatically, all that stuff. So cool. drift, I wrote it down. Okay, so there's one last thing I want to get to. Uh, I kind of want to tell a story that just happened today. I went to the Qualtrics X4 Summit today up in Salt Lake. And they were debuting some of their new products through... This is Qualtrics. So Qualtrics was, was showing off some of their new products. 
and I was thinking one of their products is it's either called predictive IQ or IQ predictive or something like that. And it made me think, you know what? I think that predictive marketing, which is a term I've never heard before, but I may have just coined. So I'm going to TM that <laughs> predictive marketing. I don't think this is an honorable mention because I don't think it's going to pick up in 2018, but I think in the coming years, we'll see this. Uh, so let me tell you about this. So early this morning, Ryan Smith, the CEO of, of Qualtrics, got up on the stage and he shared what uh, this new product, Predictive, Predictive IQ. And, and I'm just going to share the example because he used the audience to show how it works. And what he did was he explained that uh, the Insight Summit, which has been around for four or five years, they've been collecting data on all their attendees for the last four or five years. And at the beginning, right before everyone came in and took their seats, they were all given wristbands that kind of look like Fitbits, but they're all like clear plastic. And the only purpose was at, at one point in his presentation, your wristband would turn a certain color. So at that point in the, in the presentation, after he showed or demoed the predictive IQ on their platform, he said, okay, so everyone got a wristband. I'm going into this portion of the presentation. If your wristband currently has a green light, please raise your hand. And you'd look around and you'd see hundreds, probably thousands of people with their hand in the air and you just see this, this green light. And he says that green light tells us based on all this data we've collected on you that you are, uh, I may get the statistics wrong, but there's a 90% chance that you will come back to this conference next year. So he's predicting their behavior a year from now, 90% chance that those of you who are raising your hand right now will come back next year. Please put your hands down. Then he said, okay, all of you whose wristbands are uh, yellow, please raise your hand. And you people raised their hand and, and there were significantly fewer, but still quite a few people. And he's like, uh, there's a 50% chance, it's 50-50, that you will come back next year. And then uh, he had them lower their hands. And then he said, if your wristband is red right now, please raise your hand. And there were probably, I don't know, a few hundred people with their hand raised. And he's like, there's, there's about a 20, 30% chance that you will not come back next year. Uh, and, and this is, I mean, this is fun. This is fun to like watch the number of people. And he's showing on his presentation, the, the, the back end, you know, what, what information they're collecting on all these attendees and, and how this predictive stuff is happening. And then he said, last group, if your wristband is blinking red, please raise your hand. And there was again, significantly fewer people. And he's like, there's about a 10% chance, 90% chance that you will not come back next year. It's like, that's a problem. Imagine you're a company and you can predict which of your customers will buy more of your product or those that won't. What would you do? So he says, keep your hands raised. And he's like, what would you do? You take care of them. And at that moment, dozens of Qualtrics employees came out and started handing uh, swag. Not, it wasn't swag. It was actually uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know who that is? He's the guy who wrote and uh, acts in Hamilton. He's the creator of the, the musical. So he has a book. They were all signed, and they just hand these books out to all the people whose, whose wristbands were, were blinking red. He's like, that's what you do with the people you know there's a highly likelihood that they will not interact with your brand again. You take care of them. If you could predict that, what would you do? And that was his, that was his selling point for the new platform that just got introduced with Qualtrics predictive IQ. And I started to think this could be huge. If people could start collecting information on their customers, 
or on their potential customers and then predict how they'll interact with their brand in the future, they could start to segment these people off and start to cater them based on the likelihood of interacting in the future. That's big. That's really big. The challenge is where do they get that information to use it to predict the future like sales yeah, acquisitions? I mean, if you're, if you're a customer, it's easier, right? Because if there's a product like Vivint, for example, we need to know their address. We need to know their phone number. We get their email address. We yeah. get their credit score. We get, I mean, we, we collect a ton of information that then we could, we could put together more information based on here are uh, uh, people in, uh, in, the, in their 40s who are women, single mothers, who live in more affluent neighborhoods making 40,000 or to 80,000. I say affluent neighborhoods and then I give like a low, <laughs> low end. 120 <laughs> to $180,000 a year are more likely to extend their contracts. We could potentially treat them differently than the ones who are least likely or vice versa. Mm. We can we can create custom personalized experiences knowing how they will usually act based on the information we have on them. I see I see a this is like the future of of technology for sales acquisitions and and partitioning your data. I see right now that implemented through Facebook's algorithm and also Google's algorithm uh for Facebook and Google advertising. So it's starting to become, even in today's world, a trend with that. I, I used to be when I did Facebook advertising, I would I would look at the audience insights, and using my brain and like some logic, I would say, hey, I'm I'm trying to market to females who have this affluence for shopping for these kind of things, and I would try to narrow it down based off of what I thought was that person. And now it it tends to be that I get the best results, and I think this is pretty standard by not. By not putting any of my input in, putting as minimal input as possible and letting Facebook optimize for conversions. And so what I'll do now is like, let's say I'm I'm marketing a a Nike shoe to women. And I know that it's women who are athletic, who have this certain income and, and, and more things. What I'll do is I'll say optimize for conversions. I'll let it run for a while. I'll get some conversion data. And then I'll say, go to town. I basically will tell them I want to target women. I don't want to target men. Don't even worry about testing men. But other than that, let your algorithm figure it out because it has so much more data that, that it calculates into it and better than I could do myself that I just let it go to town on that. Yeah. That's predictive IQ right there. Totally. Yeah. I, 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 think, uh, I think the biggest step forward will be in the collecting and displaying the data. So in the past, doing this kind of predictive analytics can be super sophisticated and you need like a data scientist to be able to right. take the data, spend however many days or weeks interpreting the data and then putting it together in a report, giving it back to you, and then you interpreting the data into actionable insights. Mm-hmm. I think that, that uh, more resources will be put into platforms that will allow more layman type people be able to take insights without needing a data scientist and then acting on those insights uh, in their mar- their marketing campaigns. To give like some more back feedback on that, you know, finding out the right question that has the most correlation to your sales channel is also probably one of the biggest factors in, in a predictive IQ model working. Totally. Uh, have you guys ever heard of the NPS, Net Promoter Score? Sure. That was made by, I think it was Bain. It was one of the consulting firms. They did a, They did this for the automotive industry and they went through a questionnaire of like 30 or 40 questions and they gave this to all the companies within this. They, they won't say the name, but let's just say it's Ford, you know, Ford dealerships throughout the country. Yeah. 
And what they found was statistically correlated data. The only thing that made the thing that made the most sense for profitability prediction was asking the question, how likely are you to refer Ford, so that dealership to your friends? Yeah. And, and that one question had all that data. So figuring out what that question is within the industry is, is vital. Yeah, I think NPS is kind of a universal thing, but if you can identify a question that is more targeted to your industry or your company, then you're in the right place for sure. Sure. Well, that's all the time we have. Brigham, thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you and invite you to leave a review on iTunes or any other podcasting platform that you may be listening on. If you want to get in touch, either recommend topic ideas, if you've got questions for us that you want us to bring up and, and diagnose... If you want to come on the show yourself, you're welcome to petition. And you can reach out by email, inbound at belowthefold.io. You can reach us on Twitter, belowthefold.io. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold. Bow, chicka, bow, wow.